Welcome to Demond Does the Six Questions, where the same six questions can tell a unique story. I am your host, Demond, father of two, husband of one, and leader of this here Demondcast. As you may have guessed, I've been on a bit of hiatus. I wanted to take a step back and look at how I can make my show better, not only for you, but for the guests as well. So, starting with this show, if possible, I will do my best to get a hold of some sample works and review them for you here of each guest. My first review, which is of the podcast Spy Hearts, is coming up next, and then the interview with one of the co-hosts, Cam Smith. Let me know what you think. Spy Hearts is a film review podcast that focuses on spy films of all kinds, so they cover the usual suspects like the James Bond and Mission Impossible franchises. The intro fits the music perfectly and sounds like it could be the theme music for a Netflix series. The show had a great structure and Scott and Cam don't meander too much. (laughs) After leaving their first impressions of the subject of the episode, Cam goes deep into the background of the film covering things like the budget, box office, casting, and any other controversies and other newsworthy happenings around the movie. During the actual reviews of the movie, they meticulously go over the movie and make jokes, of course, because that's what we all do. We all think we're comedians, but they're really good about taking a movie apart in the best possible way. Uh, whether they like it or not, they talk about the things that they, you know, Scott and Cam talk about the things that they learn and if they, even if they didn't like the movie, what they enjoyed about it or how they could make it better. So it, it's always a learning process. And this part takes up the bulk of the usually 90-minute-plus runtime. Now, this is my only beef with this podcast. I personally like timestamps in the show notes, especially for shows that are this long. I'll give you an example. They could bookmark their opening marks about the movie, which is usually spoiler-free. One for the background that I talked to you about, that section. And then a couple more for at the beginning of each host's thoughts about the movie. I mean, they could do it other ways, but those are my suggestions. The show ends with a discussion about whether the movie reviewed earns a spot on the knock list. And the knock list is a list of movies which they consider essential viewing for the genre. And they keep the running list on their website. They also do have guests and interview people who worked on some of these movies, whether it be actors and screenwriters. It's, it's a really cool show. And check it out if you like spy movies and some of the other behind scenes stuff about making movies. My guest is a prolific podcast host from Subspace Transmissions, a Star Trek podcast, to a certain weekly film podcast, Decoding Spy Cinema. Add in a love of shark teeth, and you have my guest and co-host of Spy Hearts, Cam I can say here that won't be underwhelming. So, hello, everyone. (laughs) I live to disappoint. (laughs) No expectations. That way you're never disappointed, right? That's what I, that's my motto for every single podcast I record. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Well, (laughs) then, then you're definitely meeting your standards. And uh, as a, as a listener, I, I quite enjoy it. So there, there's, there's that. Perfect. That's what I like to hear. It's good to know our nonsense, uh, you know, attracts ears because we like to think we're having fun and we hope that other people are too. So tell us where you'd like to be found on the internet. The primary podcast that we're really going to be talking about is Spy Hearts. So you can find us anywhere online at Spy Hearts. 
you know, it's on Facebook, you know, slash spyhards or just at spyhards on Instagram, Twitter. I'm also on Twitter at, at Cam V as in Victor Smith. You can also find the Subspace Transmissions podcast everywhere as well. And so we're at Subspace Pod on Twitter. Cam Smith, are you ready to answer the six questions? Oh, I'm ready. Bring it. Question number one. When did you know you wanted to get into podcasting? It actually goes back quite a ways. I was early into the podcasting craze and made no money off of it. So yay for me, I guess. It goes back to listening to Kevin Smith's podcast. So that's around, boy, 2006, seven, somewhere in there, whenever he launched. And I was going to university at the time and I would listen to it every day, you know, going to, on the bus to school. And at a certain point, it was kind of a, what well, I could probably do this too. Like, it seemed like, there's got to be a way to do this. A lot of people weren't podcasting at this point, but it seemed like it had to be conquerable in terms of, you know, figuring out the technology. And I'm not like a tech savvy guy, but I, you know, talked to a friend and said, Hey, do you want to do like a movie podcast? We'll just hop on and talk about movies every week. And I think the slash film cast had launched by this point. So I was listening to that one as well. So there was at least some formats to rip off for my own show. And so I, I just went through like, googling around trying to figure out how to put together a podcast on like the most clunky of software and just like navigating things like feedburner.com and oh it was an absolute nightmare but we launched a show called the epicast in 2000 i think it was the end of 2008 and i remember we started with movies like slumdog millionaire so that would have been the end of 2008 it sort of just rolled from there we were a little infrequent but we actually had ridiculously high listener numbers because there was so few podcasts and we just got infrequent and my co-host wasn't as committed as I was. And so it just kind of trailed off. I look back now at the numbers we were getting and I'm like, we were insane. We were insane not to see that as something worth pursuing and continue to try to roll it. But we were like, well, that'll be the case for any podcast we could ever start. Right. Not oh, the case. Oh man. <laughs> wow. So yeah. So that was kind of the initial spark and that show lasted I don't know, two years. And there was points where we were doing an episode every two months or something. So it was not frequent. Around 2013, I had some friends. We were all into Star Trek. And I kind of floated the idea of us doing a Star Trek podcast. I figured there can't be any Star Trek podcasts on the internet, right? Of course, there's <laughs> no shortage. But it just kind of at a certain point, the two other guys were like, yeah, I guess we could do that. We were all from journalism school. That's where we all met. So we just rolled the dice and started a Star Trek podcast. One guy quit after 15 episodes. He was like, I'm out weekly, you know, schedule. No way. But it has kept going. It has been weekly since April 2014. And then, so that rolled on for a long time. And my friend, Scott, who I do spy hards with, it's funny because the Star Trek podcast took us to Star Trek cons. We started attending a lot of them. And cool. I go to the Las Vegas one. The, the biggest one in North America is in Las Vegas every uh, summer. And I'd gone there since 2012. And in 2013, I met a guy named Scott and he was a fan. And basically me and my subspace co-host, Tyler, attend the Vegas con every year since 20, I've been going since 2012. He started going in 2014, but we've gone every year since up until the pandemic kind of put the brakes on it. Scott was the same boat. So I've gone on vacation with Scott every year since basically 2013 and around like, you know, just kind of shortly into the pandemic, Scott just asked, 
hey, have you ever thought about doing another podcast? And it was like, oh, yeah, I guess I could do another one. Lord knows I have the time because of the pandemic. So that was kind of what got the ball rolling on Spy Hearts. Right on. So he so he pitched it to you. Yeah, it was very much a, do you want to do a podcast? And I knew I wanted to do a film podcast because that's kind of my thing, really. That's my background, more so than really Star Trek is. It was sort of a feeling around mission as to what exactly to do. But Scott had been doing a rewatch of James Bond movies, uh, maybe six months before, something like that. And he would be texting me and we would go back and forth as he was doing his rewatches of these movies or first time watches in the cases of some of them. We just had a lot of fun talking about James Bond. And so initially it was like, would a James Bond podcast work? But there's a lot of them. What can we contribute that the like 20 something others aren't? And plus it's a little limited when you only have 25 movies to work with. Then it just became, well, hold on. If we did spy films, then we can tackle Mission Impossible, Jason Bourne. You know, we bent for like Men in Black. We include that. They're secret agents. So it opened up the doors for all sorts of movies we could talk about. And we weren't just pinned down by strictly James Bond. And most importantly, I can't wait till you get to these Spy Kids. They are coming very, very soon. I think we're doing Spy Kids in recording it like in a week or two. I think maybe two weeks. All right. Yes. (laughs) That's fantastic. Uh, We have this whole like a back burner of like family related spy films that it's kind of like, we know we have to do like boss baby one and two or like cars Two, spy kids. There's a whole bunch of them. And you're a little hesitant because you're like, what are the numbers going to be like for these? So um, spy kids is testing the waters because I feel like they have a certain amount of crossover appeal. Question number two. What do you wish you had known when you first started out? I think number one would be to stick with it and stick to a schedule. That's something that I think a lot of podcasters get in because they think it's going to be fun. I'm going to sit down with my friends and we're going to joke around for an hour and a half or something every week. And then it's like, oh, well, it's work because the sitting down and recording, that's the fun part. What we get to do right now you know, as we as we speak now, that's the fun part. Then there's the editing. Then there's the, you know, posting your show notes. There's the keeping this, the weekly schedule. There's all the back end stuff. If you don't enjoy that, it will not work. And that's something that for me, I enjoyed it. So it was never an issue of could I stick with it? But the key is to find a co-host that also enjoys it. In the case of Spy Hearts, Scott loves doing social media. He loves doing that sort of promotion that's not really as much my thing. So we actually balance each other out. I handle all the back end in terms of editing, in terms of some of the artwork stuff, although his girlfriend does most of our artwork and it's incredible. But a lot of the you know creative back end in terms of the theme music for the show is me. But Scott does all the promotion. He books a lot of the guests or most of the guests. So had I found maybe a co-host, the guy I co-hosted the original Epicast with, Tom, he was an amazing co-host, just not in terms of carrying the workload of a podcast. That's something that I wish I'd known in the, in the get-go because I think with the kind of numbers available to you as a podcaster back then, you could have really built something because you did not have competition. The other thing, it's something that I wish you would have needed a time machine really because at that point in time when you're building a podcast, you didn't have the benefit of seeing in the future that there'd be very easy outlets for you to use like Podbean, for example, which is what we use for spy hearts that make podcasting so easy. 
there was so many hiccups, so many problems in the old days of dealing with podcasting that I wish I could have avoided it all. I wish it could have just been drop it on a basic service, done. That part, that those headaches would have been spared. And the days of having issues where I had to sit there and rewrite coding elements with like feed burner that I don't know this stuff. Like I'm an idiot people. People don't realize this. They go, well, he has multiple podcasts. Obviously he's very tech savvy. I'm not. I'm sitting there on YouTube tutorials. Sweat is pouring down my face. I'm freaking out. It's not fun. It's stressful and it makes me upset. (laughs) So you are like the rest of us then. Yeah, uh, maybe less so. I like to think less so. (laughs) Color me jealous. Uh, (laughs) I I, I like to consider myself just like a, um, you know, in terms of the lifespan of podcasts, I'm a lifelong amateur. (laughs) It's like I'm always trying. I'm always learning. And then looking at other people being like, boy, how do they do it? How do, I wish I could figure that out. Are there any other lessons that you take from that time in podcasting, like formatting shows or booking guests or anything like that? With guests, that's a fairly new thing for me. We never really had a lot of guests on my previous shows. That's more of a spy hard thing. And that's largely because Scott is based in London in the UK and I'm over here in Vancouver. So because it's all remote it's sort of like, yeah, we might as well bring in guests. Whereas previous shows, they were always in person, mm-hmm. the two of us sitting in a room talking. So we weren't necessarily going to invite the guests over. We had a couple times we did, but not a lot. For me, what I think I really learned was the content has to be good. And that's the sort of thing that sounds like a very blanket statement that's very boring to say out loud, but it's true. There's so much competition now. If you're going to talk, well, I'll talk about movies because that's what I do. I talk about movies or Star Trek as well on the shows that I do know your stuff, listen to other film podcasts, listen to the conversations they're having and boost your game because you don't want to basically sit down and be like, you know, what did you think of this movie? Yeah, I thought it was good. Yeah, I thought that part was good too. You know, like that doesn't grab people that you have to offer them something they can't get elsewhere. They have to be tuning in going like, oh, wow. Like, I can't believe these guys are doing this on a podcast. Like whatever the content is, whatever your show is, it has to be offering something that people don't get elsewhere. And that can be really tough in a crowded landscape. You know, film podcasts, there are countless. Throw a rock, you're going to hit 15 of them. So you've got to figure out an angle that other people aren't doing and have conversations that only you can have. Sometimes that can just be sense of humor. Sometimes the camaraderie of you and a friend can't be replicated. And that's something that will have a hangout factor. People are going to tune in because they like essentially hanging out with you over audio. And You can't engineer your show to please everyone. I would never recommend that because I have friends who don't like podcasts that are more than half an hour, 40 minutes. Spy Hearts is upwards of an hour and a half sometimes. That's the show it is. It's kind of the hangout. We go through the nooks and crannies of the movie. We cover everything. It's not the kind of the quick hit format. If we did the quick hit format, people would like it. There would be an audience for that. So pick the format that you like. Make the show that you like and that you would want to listen to. And Chances are, if you enjoy it, there are people out there that will as well, because with the internet, you have access to the world. It's not just I'm marketing to my local town through a public access television show or something like that. You are throwing it out there and you're going to find people in the world who go, hey, they're funny or they're interesting or they have something to say. Always work to be better. I'm the type of person that no matter what the episode is, I generally walk away going, that part bugged me or "Mm, not sure about that part. So I'm always aspiring to do better. 
even if I can listen to the finished episode after editing and go, you know, I think we covered that movie. I'll still say, could do it better. Could always do it better. Every episode can be better than the last. And I think also people are really hard on themselves in the first episode or two. Don't worry too much about it because your first episode will always be the worst episode. <laughs> no one is tuning into your first episode for you to be just seamless. But I think early on, you should establish what your format is. And it can change. You can change your format as you go. But if your show is just a loose conversational show, that's fine. But establish that up front. Make people know what you, they are tuning in for every week or every two weeks or whatever your schedule is. I think that's important. And that's something with like Spy Hearts. We started advertising right from day one, the knock list, which for us is it's the most tortured uh, acronym, but it's NOC. And we sort we stole it from Mission Impossible, but we change it to the Need to See Official Classics. That's the acronym. And so every week we talk about the movie, we give behind the scenes and all that. But at the end of the episode, we um, will always ask, does this belong on the knock list? Essentially, does this belong on the pantheon of all-time great spy films? So it became the sort of way to advertise it. We throw out the movie, does it make the knock list? And suddenly, you know, we find conversations people start to have on Twitter. They respond, I hope that one makes the knock list. The knock list is completely meaningless. It means absolutely nothing. But at the end of the day, it's a very easy way to market the show. And you can attach that and say, hey, does it make the knock list? There you go. People can discuss that. Question number three. What gets you through the tough times? I think for me... And obviously, as we go through a pandemic that's very difficult for people, that's something that they struggle with. Now, I have friends who have kids and families. Their lives are a lot rougher than mine, but they're also a lot more occupied in terms of their time, right? Like they have children they need to be focusing on. So you can ask them how they're doing doing during the pandemic, and their answer is going to be, I'm swamped. I'm busy. I don't have that. So I have a lot of alone time because, you know, a lot where, you know, now I'm in Vancouver, BC, we're now fairly open so it's uh, we're not as isolated but for a long time we were i have a job in essential services so i did go to work but i was on my own for a lot of that so for me my outlet was really two things number one is creativity and you know i'm not a painter or anything like that i'm not a musician i went to journalism school i have a background in writing i don't write as much as i like to because podcasting takes up too much time so my creativity becomes podcasting and that is what really keeps me fueled and that extends that it will extend past the you know the pandemic and it I've been podcasting since you know a long time and so for me it's always the challenge of doing it and working consistently at looking forward I'm not someone who looks backwards what kind of once I record an episode once it's dropped once it's in people's feeds I don't think a lot about it it's all about what are we doing the next episode so I'm always moving forward I'm always doing research always looking at interesting angles on a movie and that kind of ties into something just in general with my life and as well as pandemic and that I am someone who from a very young age found you know somewhat um, comfort in film that became very important to me and it started probably when I'm about four or so my parents show me the original Star Wars and I was a kid who was just always had a lot of like um, curiosity about movies my parents would tell me hey we rented a movie and the next night, the next day, I would want to know what was it about? What did you think of it? And I don't think they realized they were creating a monster in telling me this and that it would become the journey of my life in that 
I spend so much time going on missions, tracking down foreign films or great classics of the past. I'm always going down rabbit holes. I'll do bizarre things like decide, you know, what's uh, William Hurt's filmography like? Let's explore that for the next month and a half. Exactly. Random, right? Like William Hurt, turns out he was amazing in the 80s, 90s, but wouldn't have known that had I not gone down that journey. During the pandemic, um, I've been doing a project where I watch every Oscar Best Picture nominee. So for me, it's that sort of constant exploration of art and through podcasting commentary on art and doing it to the best of my ability. And, you know, I feel there's a responsibility when you do that. Um, I wrote film criticism for a long time. I did it through university as well as um, kind of as a side gig. And I think if you're going to do it, you have to do it well. You should be educated on what you're talking about. If I'm going to talk about a director, I want to know about that director. So I'm not just kind of tossing off nothing. Um, and so for me, it's that constant improvement of knowledge has really driven me through my life. And fortunately, I enjoy it. It's the sort of thing like it, I think people find these sorts of hobbies and we all, you know, know people that have them or we have them ourselves. But we also know a lot of people who don't and they kind of are aimless. And I, I kind of feel bad because I think it gives me a, a lot of grounding and constantly something to keep me occupied and entertained and motivated. There's always going to be new movies and there's always going to be new rabbit holes that open up for me as well as conversations to have in the future. And it's also, honestly, I found just in general, if you know a lot about TV, if you know a lot about movies, if you know a lot about music, it is one of the best conversation starters with people because anyone you meet, you can kind of meet there on their own level. If you know a lot about these things, you can just, Oh, of course I know what you're talking about and have conversations with them. I've had people will just bring up, uh, you know, rom uh, romantic comedies wouldn't necessarily seem on the face of it like something I know a lot about, but I've watched a ton of them. I can talk to them about that. I can talk about animation. So, and I think the same applies to anyone who's into these sorts of interests, sports as well. Question number four. What are you curious about? I think in some ways answered that just in terms of being so obsessed with film and I love doing the research. So any movie we do, I'm consistently fascinated to know how it came to be. Even movies that people would dismiss. We do interviews with writers and directors for Spy Hearts as well. So like a lot of the fun is sometimes talking to them about movies I don't even like, but that doesn't mean anything to me. Like that, I don't care if I don't like it. I just want to like to know what the process was. How did it come to be? What was the inspiration for writing it? How did it wind up being perhaps flawed? We did, um, you know, a series on the Avengers, the 1998 Uma Thurman, Ray Fiennes movie. And that's a terrible movie, like horrendous, like legendarily awful. And we talked to the director and the writer and they gave us this deep dive into how it all went wrong, like what this movie was supposed to be and what it wound up being. And it was like fascinating to me. So like things like that. Yeah, it is really cool to see how the sausage is made. Yeah, yeah. It's like people would sometimes, you know, I know friends have asked me like, why are you talking to whatever the movie is and it's something that's like you know not very good and it's like that doesn't matter to me it's like the whole process is fascinating and just in general I find a lot of my interests are driven by movies it doesn't mean they're all related to movies sometimes they are sometimes you know like they'll just send me down a rabbit's hole we recently covered Hedy Lamar, but it, the last little while I was doing sort of a watch of Hedy Lamar movies so I started reading her up on her and her you know one of the biographies on her and stuff like that 
it's sort of has spiraled me off into like interest in things like World War II is a big part that I'm always fascinated by. Talked on the show of Spy Hearts, how fascinated I am. Lifelong obsession with sharks. So like, I'm also an English major in university. And so there's all these historical avenues that opened up. I was a medieval lit you know, student for a long time. I tend to feel like I'm not someone who's like, I'm fascinated by technology. You know, I don't have a single-minded focus. I'm very scattershot. You know, it's the shotgun approach, mm -hmm. but it's very much directed, I think, through my life by things I see through art, through TV, through film that go, oh, that's interesting. I want to know more about that. So I can't tell you what it'll be tomorrow, but it'll be something completely unrelated to <laughs> the things I've named right now. But somehow it'd be connected back to film some, in some way. Yeah, I mean, everyone traces the story of their life differently. And I just feel like that's kind of how, for some reason, my brain has decided to organize mine. I can remember all major events tied to when I was going to see certain movies and everything. So I, I guess so. It's weird. I, it, does, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and it's scary. <laughs> Help! Question number five. What should I ask you that I didn't know enough to ask? That's an excellent question. I guess at this point you'd say, do you do anything other than watch movies? It would be a really good question. The answer is yes, I do actually. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, um, I really enjoy golfing. Um I'm, uh, yeah, like I just have other like active interests. I like kayaking. I like a lot of outdoor stuff. You would never know this from any podcast I ever listened to. You're not going to hear me talk about any of these things. But yeah, I think I often portray myself just in the podcasting sphere. I think it's important in podcasting that you have a persona you can sell. Circling back to an earlier question, something you should know. That's another thing. You're not really selling yourself, you're, you know, 360 look at yourself versus the persona that will click with people on a podcast so for me it kind of falls under movie geek that's sort of the thing or star trek geek depending on the podcast so i i would say yeah that's a, a been something that's maybe the focus in some ways of my life but i have many outside interests that i do as well you know a lot of game nights a lot of just hanging out with friends a lot of traveling i like i love traveling the more diverse your interests are will help you. I think it will make you a better podcaster because you don't believe me, I'm not going on podcasts talking about golf that much like ever. But when we did Goldfinger on the podcast, I could suddenly talk about golf for like a minute or two. If you can bring other interests into the focus of what your show is, it'll actually help a lot. With the geek culture persona that you've cultivated, what of your many and vast array of interests what do you think would surprise people the most? You know, there's actually one that's like, <laughs> was fueled by movies, but it's one when you tell people, they're always like, really? And that is, I learned how to use a bullwhip. And that was, exactly, it's weird, right? And it was something, you know where that came from? People would say Indiana Jones, they would be wrong. It was actually watching Batman Returns, which is one of my favorite movies to revisit. It's one of those comfort food movies for me. And it was like watching the scene of Catwoman in the department store, taking the heads off, statues or not statues but mannequins with a whip and I was like that looks really cool how do you do that and so I taught myself how to do it <laughs> not do on it. mannequins but in terms of learning how to use one and yeah getting a proper one and 
going out to fields and practicing. Yeah, yeah, I did. Again, weird hobby. It's one that you mention it, people go, really? And you're like, yeah, yeah. This is what single people do who, uh, you know, I guess have free time on their hands. <laughs> yeah, the, the bullwhip thing didn't surprise me. The inspiration for learning to use the bullwhip definitely did. That I completely forgot about that until you went into that. That was That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it really imprinted on me for some reason. I should also say there was an ill-fated rap album. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> no, I don't. You're not going to hear any clips. It was put together in my early 20s, but it's something that was another skill, actually, that I kind of learned, which was putting music together online through loops and things like that. Uh-huh. Again, all through podcasting that taught me how to put together music. So that's why I do all the music for my podcast now. And it all came from that. Oh, shutter inducing rap album from the twenties. <laughs> and I'll tell you, I'll tell you why it's a rap album because I don't even like listen to rap music. It was because my friend and I, at that point with the technology we had, we couldn't play instruments. We didn't know how to play instruments. So it was like, what can we do? We could make loops and we could do that. <laughs> so it's horrible, by the way, no one should be curious about it. It's horrendous. <laughs> but you did it. We did a full album. It's in my closet somewhere. It's awful. You did a full album? Can you give, can you at least give me the can you at least give me the uh, title of the album? I think it was just self titled. It just had like the names because we just had um. I became C four. I guess because it's explosive. I don't know. I, I again don't. I, I don't know. And my friend was his name was um Mark Carter. So he used MCMC, which was more clever than mine. I think we just had that on the front. Yeah. That is fantastic. Everybody has those. Everybody has those oh, moments. That's it's great. like, yeah, you know, everyone has their like, um, you know, of a certain generation, well, our generation, right? They like, they have their MySpace diary uh, entries or their live journals or things where they can look back now and just be like, oh, I was the worst in my early 20s or what have you. That album is mine. It's the reminder of like, oh, God, this is awful. <laughs> We thought we were so clever with our lyrics and everything. And now it's like, oh, just so embarrassing. I mean, I am proud of the fact that our whole thing was they are going to be like, you know, G-rated or PG-rated. So it would be like more based on our references or influences as opposed to trying to be something, you know, something we weren't or whatever, or make it profane for the sake of being profane. So I guess we were kind of pat ourselves on the back there that that's not embarrassing, but just the quality is abysmal. So, yeah. Question number six. If you could create a new holiday, what would it commemorate? It's become a thing in recent years. We know May the 4th is Star Wars Day. We know that September 8th is Star Trek Day. September 8th was the day that the first episode of star trek ever aired okay. so not not catchy like may the 4th i've always felt like star trek should have done october 5th and call it spocktober 5th and you know the v because of the vulcan salute right you know it would be like the roman numeral yeah that makes sense it makes sense right like it's really memorable there's an alien day why is there no james bond day i think they need to establish a specific james bond day Maybe every year they could air James Bond marathons on TV or whatever, do it, organize it through, do a, an event through Amazon. They need to make a commemorative movie related day of the year for James Bond. I don't know why they haven't. It's the best PR thing. 
I think Star Trek, I think Star Wars, I think Alien have all benefited from it hugely. James Bond's a long-running franchise. What's their excuse? What day would you make it? I don't know that there's a clever date. I guess you could do either the um, premiere of Dr. No when it played in theaters back in 1962, or you could pick the fictional character's birthday, which I think is, I think it's maybe November. Yeah, like just pick one. Make it a day, make it an event, have, you know, online blitzes, have some sort of web panels or things like that. Make a day of it. I think that could be fun. I mean, it just makes sense to me. If you if you own a franchise now, like why they should have a really established Lord of the Rings day. Like these holidays are a lot more fun than a lot of the holidays we do celebrate. They're all made up anyway. So let's let's have some ones that we some things that we want to celebrate. That, I'm in. Yeah. Just roll with it. Let's go crazy. Let's just keep going with it. Anyone who like has a big franchise that's well established, why not have their own day? We may, you know, Twilight Day may be a test for some of us, but that doesn't mean it shouldn't exist. I think a lot of studios need to be looking at this as marketing opportunities because all this stuff's driven by commerce anyway. You know, look at Christmas. It's all about selling gifts, selling Christmas decorations, Halloween. It's all about selling candy and selling decorations. Any of these studios who own these properties, why are you not looking at this as a revenue stream? What a cynical note to end on. My God, I really <laughs> ended this on a dark way. Like, put on my business suit and was like, let's build people out of money. <laughs> we need an excuse to celebrate and love on each other. Star Wars, that'll work. May the 4th. Let's celebrate that. Let's celebrate for random. Like, we like Star Wars. I like Star Wars. Let's, let's like Star Wars together, you know? Damn right. Yeah, totally. Thank you so much for your time, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. No, my pleasure. This was a lot of fun. And any excuse to tell embarrassing stories about bad <laughs> rap albums and learning bullwhip techniques, I'm, I'm here for it. As usual, I learned something new, and I hope you did too. Thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it because you could have done anything, but you chose to spend it here. So thank you very much, and we'll see you next time. Uh, before I do that, before I get into the last call, make sure you go to your podcast app, leave a five-star review or whatever the highest review is, leave a review, what what you like, what you didn't like, and um, we'll do something to fix it. You can follow me at Demond Does on the major platforms, uh, social medias, you know what I mean, the Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So I think that's about it. So until next time, see you. Hear it, speak it, live.